it's Martin Keenan here today with um, Professor Heather Loveday. Now, I've known Heather for a number of years. She's a past president of the IPS, currently edits the Journal of Infection Prevention. But her day job is she's the director of the Richard Wells Research Centre at the University of West London, which um, conflict alert I am affiliated to. She also is the, the director of Joanna Briggs Institute as well uh, in Australia. Um, and Heather this year was invited to give the cultural lecture. And in common with a number of us who've given that lecture, she found it quite a terrifying experience. I know Brett was nervous about it. I was certainly nervous about it. Um, but it was a, it was a lovely lecture, a really nice lecture, looking at you know where we're going and through a bit of a different lens. And it, there was a few interesting ideas that I want to draw and draw out of Heather uh, as we have this chat. Anyway, nice to see you, Heather. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for asking awesome. me. Never okay. done one of these so, before. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've only been doing them six months. But, uh, <laughs> I'll start off with really, you, you talked about, uh, I thought one of the things that really struck me quite nicely early on was that your comment about motivating to do no harm rather than a number from a, from a ward sister. And, yeah. uh, you know, for a while we've been hung up on reducing to a number uh, in the UK because of our targets, but the motivation to do no harm is really quite powerful. So I'm ask you to expand on that one a little bit. Well, I think it comes from my own philosophy of, of nursing care, really, which is, you know, I've got quite a long history in nursing. I've been a nurse for 45 years almost. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the central role of nurses to ensure that people are cared for um, in an environment that is both safe um, and where they feel that there is some compassion and that there is some empathy, if you like, for what's happening to them. And so I think that's at the heart I, of what most people, I think, do within nursing. I don't think anyone ever goes to work thinking they're going to be a technical nurse or anything like that. They, they go to work to help people. Mm. Um, and so the idea that we can also meet metrics, I think, is sometimes useful. I mean, I'm a professor of evidence based healthcare, so I recognise that outcomes are important. And I recognise that, you know, being lovely and kind and those sorts of things is as important as ensuring that someone doesn't get an infection. Mm. Um, but I think there are ways of doing that that are if you like, consistent with both with both approaches. So I think the number is important, but it's, if you like, less important than ensuring that the number doesn't exist in the first place. I mean, you then went on to talk about actually infection control measures tend to get in the, well, perceived to get in the way of doing the job, in which case what it is the job. You know, we haven't managed to possibly convince people that protecting people and motivating people to do no harm is actually the job. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is, I mean, from the literature, that's clearly what people think. People see infection prevention and control as being something extra to what they do. And I suspect that some of the work we've done around reducing targets with, you know, mandatory reporting and um, a whole range of interventions to try and reduce, say, MRSA or, or C. diff, means that people get focused on those interventions rather than how those interventions need to be incorporated into the things they do every day. Um, and I mean, a lot of the improvement literature is around making things habit. Mm. 
Mm. And, and how can you actually ensure that things become a habit? I mean, things like the five moments of hand hygiene are supposed to make people think automatically of doing something where they don't have to, to think why. Um, and so I think in some ways that is we're not actually making those integrated um, elements of, of care um, that ensure that infection prevention is part of what people do rather than extra to what people do. Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, there's, there's a number of space measures that are in, for example, the UK's EPIC-3 guidelines that actually nobody's doing, yeah. like you know, bathing in critical care, for example, is really quite good evidence for that. It's, it sits in the guideline, but people don't seem to have got the fact that actually this is an important measure for people. And, you know, and you, you went on to talk about interventional patient hygiene, which, like you, you said you yes. didn't like the term, and I don't really like the term no. either. But, but actually, there are a number of areas in the broader hygiene air, you know, sphere that actually have the impact or potential impact to make a huge difference. You know, with, I, I talked about bathing, but actually looking at mouth care and, mm. and things like that. And we haven't managed to really instill that into people, I don't think. I don't think they're making the connection between, and you, we would have called it years ago basic nursing care, and I've called it basic nursing care, but your, your fundamental nursing care actually means that these are the minimum. But we don't seem to be making the connection between that is something we would do normally for people and actually preventing infection in them. No, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I think basic nursing care is always a term that, you know, like you, it was used lots of years ago and, and that was what you intended to do. Everyone needed that basic level of care. But I think that has become to, has sort of come to mean anyone can do that. And I don't think that's true. I actually think that fundamental care is absolutely essential for patients to get well um, and I think the work that Alison Kitson's done um, around this area of fundamental care is really very important and it's thrown up um, something that you and I've probably been more aware of than, than most is that a lot of what we do in nursing lacks a sound evidence base and so when we're working in that field of you know where's the evidence it sometimes is quite difficult for us to explain to student nurses, to um, post-registration nurses, to and, and to our colleagues in, in medicine and other disciplines, why we do things in a certain way. Now, I have a very broad view of, of evidence. I don't think evidence has to necessarily always be research and that you can draw on other fields to support what I would see are fundamental elements of care so I don't need science to tell me that having a clean mouth um, actually is important and prevents um, a whole range of infections in, in you know and dental caries so I think you have to sort of think a bit more broadly about evidence and how that impacts on on nursing care and I think the fundamentals are are sort of and the interventional hygiene title if you like I suspect um comes from the, the, the Florence Nightingale world where you know hygiene was hugely important and and those sorts of things but but this is actually fundamental care it's making sure people um can move so they don't develop 
pressure sores, that they have clean mouths so that they can eat, so that they can drink, so that they can speak. It's about ensuring that, you know, they have the opportunity to clean their hands when they've used the toilet and those sorts of things. And that, I think, is all entangled in this idea that actually all of those things can prevent infection too. And I suspect that we don't actually highlight that in our nurse training uh, and nurse mm. education programs, that there is actually a link to these, these essential elements of care that if they're not done, they actually lead to infection. And so they're really important. Yeah, I mean, that was the point that you made, wasn't it? That missed care results yeah. in infection. Yeah. And I don't think people think of it as missed care. No. They just think of it all. Oh, well, you know, it's not, it just well, didn't happen, but it's not missed. No. Which is a slightly different thing, I yeah. think. Yeah. And, and the evidence around miscarriage is really quite is really quite stark. That actually, if 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 you look at what is missed, those things if they're missed over and over and over again, and you know we have some I suppose examples of what happens when that happens continually in things like Mid Staffordshire, etc., where care is missed. It's not considered to be important enough. You know, it's not technical enough, if you like, mm. um, for us to focus on as as um, qualified nurses. And I I don't want that to sound like a sweeping generalisation because I know that there are um, nurses who do feel that that's important. But it's a little bit like um, infection prevention, trying to think about what don't we do anymore? What do we stop doing that allows us to actually focus on some of the important elements of our roles so that we can make these links so that people can see how they actually fit into this domain of fundamental care what do you stop doing and I think that's the same for registered nurses registered practitioners all over the place to be honest in in any discipline mm. what do we stop doing to ensure we can focus on the things that are really important some of those will be technical but some of them will be socio-adaptive as well and some of them will be very basic fundamental about ensuring that the patients are cared for well yeah i mean a lot, a lot of the elements of care that are missed though possibly aren't being undertaken routinely by registered nurses now because there's not that many registered nurses if you take an acute hospital ward yeah you've got a couple of registered nurses who are doing yeah. more technical aspects and doing more of the medication so yeah. actually the items that we would call fundamental care are often delivered by healthcare assistants and are they getting the same motivational or information that would make them to think that this is important care that should not be missed no i mean i certainly i certainly agree with that i mean having done some research observations around patient hand hygiene i'm very aware of the fact that the vast majority of fundamental care is actually delivered by healthcare assistants and the way in which healthcare assistants are prepared is variable and is usually trust dependent but i I do think one of those sort of more recent moves around sort of nursing associate trainees means that we are going to get people who have a much better idea of what those fundamental elements of care are and that they are trained to think in that way. And I think I think in some ways healthcare assistants probably do think that they just don't recognize the links that we're talking about in some ways because no one brings that to their attention. I certainly think that there's a, a role for registered nurses to take, if you like, one of the things they need to start to do more is actually ensure that the, de the care they delegate is actually delivered and it's delivered well. And so 
you know, picking up on what care's been missed this morning as a, a, a way of sort of identifying, okay, we need to do that rather than, if you like, taking it as read that that particular patient has had a blanket bath this morning or has been out to the toilet without asking about, well, were you able to get, get their, their teeth cleaned? Were they able to do those essential things um, that are really important? So, I mean, I take the point, And actually, I think it is really important that registered nurses do deliver care. Well, I agree. But the thing is, I suppose if there's only one or two of them around, they don't go do ward rounds, for example, anymore, which means communication between the medical team, the nursing and the patient is often broken down. And often, well, I think it's a critical role of the nurse being an advocate for the patient to maybe be able to speak for them Mm. during the ward round or to the medical staff. That that seems to have fallen by the wayside a bit as well. I suppose there could be, I mean, I think there is a model. Again, I sort of started off, I think, my lecture with something around, you know, there was, if you like, total patient care, which was then followed by mm. primary nursing, which mm-hmm. now seems to have disappeared completely. But that idea that actually there is a registered nurse responsible for that particular patient's care plan, delegated care, maybe there are aspects of care that are really important for the registered nurse to do in the same way as it's important the registered nurse does the the medicines round or whatever the technical things or the IV drugs so those are technical things that have to be done but I would say that something like mouth care in a very elderly person who is perhaps um, cognitively impaired and isn't eating and drinking the way they need to is actually a really important aspect of technical care that is also fundamental that needs to be undertaken by someone with um, an appropriate sort of recognition of why that's important. Uh, interestingly, I'm thinking about this then, you know, and, and sometimes we do assess a bundle and say, okay, these aspects of the bundle are not being carried out. Mm-hmm. Are there any studies that actually looked at, looked at the fundamentals of care and see what is missed on a routine basis so that you could then do some form of intervention to say, okay, we need to up our game in mouth care or we need, to, I mean, I know there are various programs around our mouth care at the moment yeah, and some national ones coming, but, you know, or we're not getting everybody on their feet to walk at least a certain number of paces a day or, or you know, are, are you aware of anything like that? I mean, well, I think what there are is what you said, there are sort of individual sort of siloed interventions mm. rather than people thinking about this integrated whole. That, that needs to be taken account of. Um, and there, I mean, there is a piece of work that's been done by um, a group with David Richards from Exeter. If I remember rightly, I think Peter Griffiths is involved in it as well, which is actually about how care that's left undone, how that actually impacts. And the things that constantly do come up are mouth care, um, toileting and continence care so linking to urinary tract infections hydration mm. is you know is a, a, a one that is I think although again people say um, well Mrs Smith is drinking well she's had a glass of water this morning no one actually recognizes whether or not Mrs Smith has had that glass of water um, uh, and that it tastes disgusting anyway because it's warm and it's full of chlorine and, you know, no one would drink it in their right minds. Um, so I think, that, I mean, there is work that actually shows that 
those elements left undone do have an impact on patient outcomes and they also have an impact on patient satisfaction. Yeah, if, I, if I'm going on holiday, uh, if I want to take a work of fiction with me, I look for a fluid balance chart. From my yes. Hospital. <laughs> uh, I mean, but you're right, they impact, don't they? Yeah, they do, they do impact. And, and I think the, the problem is we deal with all these things in isolation. So, you know, the pyjama paralysis um initiative which is to ensure that people are able to get up get dressed be mobilized um, so that you're not deconditioning people while they're in hospital that's really important but it also Mm. needs to be alongside as part of that you know are we able to ensure that they can get to the toilet um, that they can actually have enough food and fluid that their mouths are clean that their skin's clean um and I think that's also against the background of what we know is, uh, you know, in, in acute care, certainly. And obviously, I think also in community care, but I think that's a, a whole nother ball game really, in terms of the lack of registered nursing oversight of what, what, what happens. So I think the fact that we can't integrate these elements of care um, into something that makes a total patient package i mean you mentioned a bundle you know you could put bundle on it um as as the fundamentals it's a fundamental bundle and you think about those things in in that sort of structured way um rather than dealing with this particular campaign and that particular campaign um Mm. which often don't stick i mean i think one of the issues that joe rycroft malone raises quite frequently is that you have to de-implement quite a lot so you've got to look at what is happening so that you can see what workarounds are being carried out that are positive and what workarounds are perhaps more harmful so you have to understand actually what's happening you have to know what's going on Um, and I think you have to see what you need to de-implement and then actually implement new things on top of that and that that's not easy it's you know um no de-implementation is really yeah. hard because it's often ingrained and yeah. you're stuck with the we've always done it this way uh, yeah. type of thing but yeah i mean i i do wonder sometimes if we look at things the wrong way around so i've sat in root cause analysis for somebody with cdf and you go okay well they got cdf um because they had antibiotics because they had a bacteremia okay why well, they have the bacteremia because they had a urinary catheter in, but they were in, you know, they were in retention, so nothing we could have done about it. Okay, so you you go back and you go shrug, never mind. But actually, if you start showing people the impact, so here we have somebody who's not drinking, mm-hmm. so they become constipated. What could happen if they could become constipated? Ah, yep. oh, they could get retention of urine. Yeah. Okay. What happens if they get retention of urine? They get a catheter. And what happens if the catheter? And we we don't look at it forwards and no. actually show that what the potential yeah. impact of Failing to clean yeah. someone's mouth is yeah. actually there's a fair yeah. chance of pneumonia. Yeah. So there's there's a there's yeah. no forward thinking connection. It's all no. it's all it's all retrospective. And the problem with the root cause analysis is like going on to a roundabout yes. where people want to get off at the first available exit rather yes. than. And I think I think that going. sort of underpins the sort of the safety too, if you like, work as well, which is if you look at what's good, if you look for what happens most of the time and try and focus on some of those things, you may actually be able to grow that that sort of good practice. So it is 
I don't like the word champions, but identifying where best best practice actually happens and what happens in those units yeah. is really quite important. And I, I think there are shiny examples of where, you know, you have a nursing team that is working together, that's um, qualified with healthcare assistants who know what they're doing, with a clinical medical team who, if you like, maintain the sort of links and communication that you were talking about, perhaps missing at times. Those examples of really good practice do exist and trying to work out why they exist and how you might be able to replicate that elsewhere, I think is really important. But I agree the idea that if we could, it's a little bit like the patient story that I gave, which is, you know, the gentleman who came in with a catheter, he'd had it for 18 months. He had no idea why it had been put in. It made his life a misery. His quality of life was horrendous he didn't want to go out because he was terrified that his leg bag would burst or something awful would happen while he was out and when the team went back and looked they could find no reason so they just removed it mm, and yeah. he passed urine almost immediately and, and went home you know perfectly okay but he'd been subject to about five or six catheter related infections when they trip when they changed his catheter because no one had stopped to think and I think if you can I think if you can tell stories and they're not stories if you like they're not if you can present a narrative like that yeah. to staff and students they're really really powerful um yeah. because you have to try not to overdo it because the more narratives you tell it becomes yeah. a bit like wall, becomes yeah. a bit like wallpaper and you you know oh here comes yeah. another story <laughs> Hmm. I mean, could, you're doing a project at the moment with preventing UTI with Professor Jackie Prieto from Southampton. Can you expand yeah. on that a little bit? So yes, so we're we're doing a um, a realist synthesis of the evidence to prevent um, urinary tract infections in the elderly in residential care. The project's funded by um, NIHR, and um, it takes a, a very different approach to the synthesis of both research evidence, but also stakeholders and experts, if you like, so expert patient interviews, in order to come to a series of, they're called mechanisms, but a series of interventions, which if delivered in a certain context, will result in the prevention of UTI. And I mean, it's a very different way to looking at at, um, research evidence from a systematic review where you're really focused on assessing quality um, and deciding whether or not the outcomes are, are met in a really synthesis you're very you're very focused on what are the quality issues if there are any but how does that particular intervention bring about that outcome and what makes it work so there is quite a lot of work from the US for example that we're all familiar with around urinary catheter infections associated with having a a catheter inserted and that work's being replicated in residential or long-term care facilities as they call them in the states but there's also quite a lot of work here around hydration and also management of continence um, and trying to look at what makes those things work and it's a a little bit like fundamental care what makes them work on sort of fundamental communication strategies and Mm -hmm. fundamental structures and organizations if you like for um, for how you deliver care so ensuring that people have the right knowledge and skills obviously really important but in a way 
that actually can be um, accommodated within residential care. It's poorly supported by registered nurses. I mean, if you're lucky, there's a registered nurse per shift in a mm-hmm. in a residential care home. In some care homes, there isn't a qualified nurse at all. No, you have to make sure that the relationships between uh, the residential care home staff and the general practitioners who are supporting that home are really good. You have to look at what's actually happening. It's a bit like, you know, what is happening? Who's being given drinks? Who's being helped to the toilet? Why is someone getting repeat UTIs? Is it is it something that can actually be managed by treatment? Or is it something that you have to sort of proactively deliver a bundle of care around? Mm-hmm. And so it's actually a really exciting approach to synthesizing the evidence. And as I say, I'm a bit of an evidence nerd, so it excites <laughs> me. But the approach is sort of fits with my ethos that you need to use evidence from different directions in order to come to something that works rather than something that sits in a guideline and like you you said you know something that's taken quite a lot of my professional life where people don't do what's in the guideline how can you how can you make that gap guideline live enough and contextually fitted enough before it to start to become much easier to implement yeah, I mean, that's why I quite like Barbara Quinn's work on pneumonia, where which is published in a journal that infection prevention folks don't read normally, and it's not a randomised control trial, but mm. it was a nice pragmatic look at here's a problem, what can we do about it, yeah. and and they got good reductions in healthcare associated pneumonia, and they've yeah. continued to do good studies. But would that study ever appear in a in a guideline? No, because it's not a randomised control trial, and that that's. No, yeah, probably appear in one of my guidelines. guidelines. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, I mean, it is, and I think if you listen to um, someone like Trish Greenhouge talking about sort of the evidence revolution and the fact that this model doesn't fit complex care any longer, mm. um, and you know, we started with systematic reviews in the late eighties. Cochrane started late 90s as it is now um, it's almost a business there is an evidence business yeah. um, where we churn out reviews that either tell us nothing yeah. or tell us very little um, or you, or you run the, the same search strategy every few years and just write yeah. another Cochrane review yeah. yeah and and I think that we have to sort of change that particularly in these complex areas where there are there's lots of interplay there they are multifactorial mm. um you know and we need multiple approaches to the interventions um that we're going to put in place but they have to be contextually they have to fit contextually rather than just be here do this this way mm. so yeah i think realist i think realist synthesis but it's it's a it's a laborious way of doing things i'm sure i'd get quicker at it as i get you know, uh, as I do a few more, but it, it's not an easy task, but it certainly allows you to bring different sources of evidence and look at, you know, what fits and what's good enough. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. so what's I like, good, I like good enough, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I, I tend to go, would I would I want that? You know, it, yeah. it may not be an RCT, but to me, it's, it's yeah. it, that, that's what yeah. I would want. Yeah. And um, so, you know, an RCT is the thing that is good enough for a new drug. Hmm. 
Yes. It's the it's the right sort of evidence. So it's again about this sort of idea of ensuring that your your question drives your methodology. And mm. so, you know, if you're looking at a new treatment or you're trying to see whether a new vaccine works, no one doesn't want that to have been tested um, in, you know, in a randomized control trial or or something like that. Mm. Um, but there are other things where different designs are good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think nursing is one of those areas. I think nursing is an area where you don't have to spend a fortune on randomized control trials. I think you can look at really well designed, you know, observational studies that draw on um, different methodologies to take a, um, a sort of a mixed method approach to what works and how does it work and what are the perceptions of staff and patients in, in that sort of um, type of study. Well, I hope for a revolution then soon. <laughs> uh, I look forward to seeing the output of the uh, of the work you're doing with Jackie, and I know you're doing some other work on pneumonia in that area as well. So, uh, yes, exciting times over the next couple of years, hopefully. Yes, yeah. When do you think you'll be reporting? Um, so, Stop UTI, um, which is the one I'm doing with Jackie Prieto, is we finished that work. Um, we should finish it in February, but we're trying to get a stakeholder group together and we think that covid and flu and other things will get in the way of that so looking at um late spring so around about okay. may ish um the non-ventilator pneumonia work is um being sort of probably around about the same time i would think we're trying to finish with the um, case and control data for that but that's being hampered quite seriously by the issues within the health service and people just you know being focused on much more important things than than the data that we're trying to collect and so it's having to be done a little bit more piecemeal than we would originally have, have liked so yeah. um, that again will be spring um, and the work that Jenny's been doing on dysphagia and swallowing which links into healthcare associated pneumonia that's coming to its end and I'm hoping that we'll we'll be reporting that um, probably in the early new year. Excellent. So all of these fit within fundamental care, I would suggest. They do. They do. And it's um, it's quite interesting because, as you know, I dedicated my lecture to Robert Pratt. But I remember when he started doing the work in HIV in the you know late 80s, a large part of that was also about fundamental care. It was, yes, it was definitely about, you know, what medications and how we'd be able to to sort of halt the drive of HIV, but his his key focus was actually on how did we make people safe, keep others safe, yeah. um, make sure that they were cared for in the best possible way that they could be, and so that fits as well. That's the, the whole ethos of the Richard Bell Research Centre, really, isn't it? So yeah, wonderful tribute to Robert as well, as yeah. well as yourself. Well, hello. Thank you very much for joining me. Okay. It's been Thank a pleasure you. as always. Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed the lecture. <laughs> and if you're registered for the IPS conference, it's still there out there in the ether. So you can watch that and catch up on that. I'll pick out a few of the papers and put them in the, uh, in the podcast recording blurb underneath so people can have a look at those. And if you've got any particular ones you want me to mention, have you send me those? Yeah, great. I will. I will. I'll send okay. you the, I'll send you the couple that I referred to. Thank you. Well, thanks everybody for joining us and hope you'll join in again in another future edition of Infection Control Matters. Goodbye.